Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning again, everybody. It's good to see you. Great to be here with you, worshiping the Lord this morning. Um, I'm Father Morgan Reed. I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. Um, And this morning, what we're going to be doing is beginning a three-part series in the book of Habakkuk. Um, May not have read it in a while, but it's today it's our lectionary reading. So I thought we'd spend the next three weeks in it. So I'll be switching up the next the Old Testament readings over the next two weeks for that. Um, This book, Habakkuk, is one of my favorites. And it's this dialogue between God and his prophet in the southern kingdom. And it has a lot to tell us about the ways that um, having a mature faith wrestles with really difficult challenges in the world around us. As we get into Habakkuk chapter 1 this morning, let me just start um, by praying for our time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, you have made us in your image, and you have redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in the bonds of love. And work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth. That in good time, all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your holy throne. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We do have a few Bibles in front of you. So if you want to open up to the book of Habakkuk. Debbie, what page is that on? Do you know? Anybody got a page number? 785. You can open up to 785 and follow along. Um, The book of Habakkuk is all about a burden. Uh, And it begins with that. It says the oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. And and the word oracle, even though that's true, doesn't really do justice to the the sense of Massah in Hebrew. It's instead, if you look at the King James and the New King James version of this passage, both translated as burden. Um, And it's this prophetic oracle that Habakkuk saw, uh, but it was this really weighty thing to hold on to. And it led to really, really hard questions. And so one thing that I love about the book of Habakkuk is that it teaches us about faith and it teaches us about prayer and what to do with our outrage. Like we live in a culture of outrage. What do we do with that? The Bible has a response Um, and what to do with our questions. And so it invites us to take outrage and to offer it in lament and to ask God hard questions because God's big enough to handle those hard questions. Um, And even though the response of God might feel potentially cruel or even more troublesome, what we understand from the book of Habakkuk is what looks like cruel or troublesome answers is only a veneer. And when we start to pull away the veneer, what we actually get to is the mercy of God. And so God's justice doesn't always feel merciful in the moment. And that's why Habakkuk is carrying a burden. The oracle is burdensome. And so he has this desire for God's justice in the very beginning of the book. God gives him a glimpse of how it's going to come. But he has to wait for mercy. 
And the mercy that he's waiting for isn't actually immediately apparent in God's response. And so what we are invited to in chapter one is to sit with Habakkuk in the waiting. Chapter two, verse one talks about him going up to the watchtower and waiting for God's response. And so we sit and we wait with Habakkuk on the watchtower to see how God's going to answer our request for mercy as we take note of all the ways that things are now. The, the, they're not the way that things should be. And so what we learn is that a mature faith carries the heavy burden of waiting uh, for God's mercy with a kind of curiosity to it. Let's look at chapter one together in verses one through four. It's one paragraph. What you have is uh, the introduction of a problem. There's this prophetic burden that weighs on Habakkuk and it's directed against the leaders of Judah. Um, The leaders of Judah have all the riches of God's law and of wisdom and in many ways are coming into the same scenario that we saw in the book of Amos last week with the northern kingdom. Uh, It wasn't too long ago that these leaders in Judah had a national reform. They actually had a renewal of society, a religious renewal under King Josiah, where he had found the law in the temple and there was repentance and change, life change. But unfortunately, after King Josiah died, uh, the, the leaders of the society quickly turned again to sin and idolatry, to injustice. And, and it became a quick descent from there into Babylonian exile and what we now be modern day Iraq. And so it seems like possessing the law has done no good whatsoever. Um, the systems that had been set up to reflect God's justice and to uphold righteousness had now become the vehicles of oppression that were ruining people's lives, the people that it was actually designed to help. And so those who were actually helped by this system were those who were probably the most corrupt in society. So Habakkuk's prayer, uh, it represents the same cry that we find in our hearts quite often. There's two things that he mentions. How long... And why? How long and why? Those are the two questions that I find myself asking a lot. And I can imagine um, no matter what you're going through, you're probably asking those two questions often. Um, The first question is, how long, God, are you going to ignore my requests for help? The second, why, God, are you causing me to see so many problems, so much trouble? Uh, I know none of you have ever felt that way. So... uh, And and so maybe there are several levels on which this might be the cry of your heart. On the one hand, this might be the cry of your heart when you look at national or even bring it down to local levels, when you just discover the brokenness of our immigration system or when certain populations that we know are plagued by mass incarceration or um, or when some families that are in the wealthiest country in the world have to go two to three days without food. I mean, those things um, or, or like when you pass by going somewhere and see two to three people who are unhoused asking for money. I mean, that might be the cry of your heart in those scenarios. How long and why? Perhaps on another level, when we think personally, you can think of, you know, why, why aren't the job opportunities that we expected to have there? Um, where did they go? And I had this idea of of the family that I would have, and that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, Why am I experiencing that? For how long? And and when the health of our body isn't keeping pace with with the spirit of our souls and the desires of the things that we want to do, 
There are many reasons why you and I might, on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, be praying, how long, Lord, and why, Lord? And so I think what this passage does, at the very base, is it, is it encourages us not to write those matters off, not to just sweep them under the rug, paper over them with you know, simple axioms about God's goodness, um, take them seriously. So this chapter invites us to ask God really hard questions um, where what he says about himself isn't matching to what we are experiencing of him. And then it encourages us that God is actually big enough for those questions. Um, you don't have to shy away from asking them of him. And it invites us to feel uh, what that dis. Uh, Discongruity between uh, what God says that he will do and who he is and the current situation that we're in. It invites us into that experience to feel all the feelings in that space. Um, and then it invites us to tell him what feels like cruelty or injustice so that he can start to peel back the veneer of what looks like uh, injustice and cruelty and might actually be so that we can discover his mercy. Habakkuk, um, even though he asked the question, it seems like he really wasn't ready for God's answer. And that's where we get to verses 5 through 11. When we get there, God answers Habakkuk. And, and so what was a burden already becomes more of a burden without saying it so directly. I think God's response to Habakkuk is, I do see and I am going to respond it just wasn't the way that Habakkuk wanted that to happen. And so God is going to bring the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. It's this people who arrive on the scene very quickly and they establish kind of world domination. Uh, and as quickly as they come, they actually leave just as quickly as they're eventually defeated by the Persians. And, and remember that the problem in verses two through four was that there were vulnerable populations that were in Judah, and they had become victims of powerful wrongdoers. So in some ways, when God answers this way, it seems like this news is just as bad for the victims as it is for the wrongdoers. But there's a long road here. And in the event of the exile, what God's doing is he's taking away all of those people who had power. They're all gone. And they're going to go into Babylon. They're going to be stripped of their power. So that when the, when the Judeans return to the land, um, ordinary people who were victimized can become the powerful. Violence is awful. And, and in this act of judgment, um, God's mercy is still present uh, because he sees and he responds to the cries of the righteous. Even when we get to chapter three, the prayers in chapter three is, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Mercy is all throughout this book, and it's sort of juxtaposed and runs alongside judgment and wrath. So at the risk of reducing this prayer and the concept to something that's oversimplistic, I mean, at the risk of that, I do think that what's in this passage for us um, is a very simple reminder uh, that God loves you. Like, I know that sounds simple, sounds cliche, we hear it. But, but it's really there. God does care for you. And if I were to sit down with each of you this morning and we were to talk 
And I were to ask you to consider your life right now as it is, I would imagine that each one of you is going to have a place where you would tell me, you know, I'm asking God right now about this particular thing. How long do I have to watch this happen? And why is this happening? Each one of you has a place like that this morning. And behind those questions is often a deeper question, which is, God, do you actually see what's happening? And do you even care that it's happening? Do you see what's happening? Do you care that it's happening? And so I want to take just a moment to think about that with you. What is that place for you? Take a moment. I'm going to put one minute of silence on my phone. Take a moment in the silence to perhaps write it down on a card in front of you, on the pew card or somewhere else. One minute. For those of you who are parents, that was the most quiet minute you've had all week. <laughs> so, you know, take that card and look at it. And just remember, God sees you this morning. God knows you. God loves you. And his mercy is active on your behalf. Um, even in those places that feel like what we might call violence, cruelty, and injustice. So the goal is not for us to be carefree in Christ, um, who, by the way, also asked these kinds of questions of God, even on the cross. The goal is for us to be whole, to be made new in Christ. And so I was thinking to one of the prayers that we pray, uh, if you look at our Book of Common Prayer, it's called the Rite of the Reconciliation of the Penitents, the Sacrament of Confession. And this prayer says, O most loving Father, by your mercy you put away the sins of those who truly repent, and you remember their sins no more. Restore and renew in your servant whatever has been corrupted by the fraud and malice of the devil, or by their own selfish will and weakness. Preserve and protect them within the fellowship of the church. Hear their prayers and relieve their pain through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and that process of restoring and renewing what has been corrupted by the fraud and the malice of the devil can actually be a really painful experience because that involves changing habits. It involves changing ways of thinking, getting rid of things that might be comfortable, making things right with other people. Those are potentially painful experiences. And, and that's why I'm so glad that there's this request in that prayer to be preserved and protected um, and for our pain to be relieved, which I imagine both is physical and spiritual. And underneath the pain is God's mercy. Pain uh, can be part of the healing process. 
But in pain, it's good to remember that God loves us. Each one of you is loved by God in your pain. And so there's not a day that goes by that God doesn't see you, that that God doesn't hear you, and that his love doesn't rest on you. Like that is always the case for you. And and so this is the context. Uh, When we think of our questions that we have for God, when we think of the outrage that we carry, this is the context, his mercy and love for us. And so with reliance on God and trust in his love, we can come to him and we can ask why God and how long? Oh, Lord, Um, it isn't just a complaint, but it's because of his love that it's at least a complaint. Um, It's a different kind of complaint. And so we need to have that willingness to be curious, to ask God where his mercy is in this thing. And if he really hears us, then to wait for an answer. And that's how mature faith carries the heavy burden of waiting for God's mercy uh, in the face of what feels like and even can be incredibly challenging circumstances. So when God tells Habakkuk that he's going to bring the Babylonians, uh, this is uh, verses 12 and onward, he's, he's going to bring the Babylonians to cart off the corrupt leadership. That feels like God's using two wrongs to make a right. And, and so he asks another really hard question. Essentially what he's doing is he's asking God how he can do all the work that he's done in ages past to redeem this people and then just all of a sudden set that aside and undo everything just like that. And he emphasizes this question by a couple means. He he reminds God of his character and what he's done, that he's too pure to look on evil. And then he reminds God uh, or emphasizes in his question the character of the Chaldeans, these Babylonians. The Chaldeans, they carried on what was a really brutal tradition from the Assyrians before them that when they captured people, they would drive a hook through their lower lip and string them along a line like fish. Um, And and there's inscriptions that you find uh, in Iraq where Babylonian deities are capturing peoples in dragnets and just letting them squirm in the dragnets. So those images that Habakkuk's using in this chapter are actually images that the Babylonians are using for themselves. They're, they're torturous and brutal people uh, in war. And, and what it says is that they trusted in their own strength and they worshiped themselves in their own cruelty. So he asks his question. He makes his case to the Lord. And then he goes and he sits on a watchtower in chapter 2, verse 1. Standing at his watch, Habakkuk um, expects, he, he shows us somebody who fully expects God to answer him. And and that's another aspect of mature faith. What it does is it desires God's kingdom. It takes note of all the places where we don't see God's kingdom yet. And then it asks God hard questions. And then after asking those hard questions, it actually expects God to respond. There's a waiting to it. And that gives us this helpful balance, I think, from last week's message, which is still true. And that that message warned us not to stick our heads in the sand while the world burns around us. Um, And yet, when we feel an appropriate outrage over injustice, we do have to have nuanced advocacy uh, based on the character and commands of God. Nevertheless, when we feel the need to let our frustrations be heard, we don't first go and start a rant on the internet. Um, We don't seek to shame others in public. But what we do is we ask God hard questions and we wait. 
We ask God hard questions and wait. And now I think online one can and should ask good thought-provoking questions, especially when people are writing articles and well-thought-out, reasoned articles at that. Um, But those things should stem from a prayerful heart that has a disposition of waiting. Uh, So what it does then is it invites others to wait with us. Rather than shaming others or venting frustrations, we are inviting people to wait with us. The dialogue with Habakkuk and God was not just a private dialogue. So as we read on, this isn't just a conversation. Uh, It really was composed for the sake of the entire people of God. And it's this invitation to think these questions, to be outraged by the reasons that we have to ask them, and then to see that God does in fact see and hear the things that are happening. The message started with a burden. And then we learn the depths of the weight of that burden as we're going to move through this chapter and through the next couple chapters. The burden of how sin and injustice cause suffering should make us feel a sense of outrage um, as we feel like we're left to watch helplessly, wondering if God is watching the same thing that we're actually watching. And so we're invited then in this book to take that outrage and to ask God really hard things because... That's curiosity. There's a curiosity to that um, when you ask hard questions. And that same curiosity is also searching for God's mercy. So after our prayer of lament, uh, we wait. And I think that's healthy uh, as we're waiting, because in prayer and in waiting, we should sit and wait and expect God to show us his mercy. Let me pray for us. Oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. And in wrath, remember mercy. Amen.